So I told you guys that I was watching um, like those old cartoons where it makes like orphanages look pretty lit and that mm -hmm. like being a street urchin is actually cool. Oh, yeah. 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 It's been really oh, yeah. uh, changing my perspective. You're just a lovable, fun <laughs> yeah. guy. You want to join an orphanage now? I mean, it looks pretty fucking rad, dude. Yeah. I mean, yeah, sure. You're living in squander and filth, but. On Christmas, some homeless guy dresses as Santa and like builds you a bunch of shit. I'll see you somewhere in Dreamland. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we saw the Dreamland one. Yeah, and you're yeah. hallucinating because you're probably starving or whatever yeah. you've been exposed <laughs> to. So you're in Candyland. In the Dreamland one, the kids are just like licking the fuck out of the window, and it's just like I oh, know. Oh yeah, come that on. one's the best. I don't love be so it. desperate. Yeah, that it's one's so excellent. Sad. <laughs> <laughs> It is. It is really sad, but it all works out. They get those cupcakes at the end. For they now, sure do for yeah. that day, it did. And I'm pretty sure the mom's olive oil. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah, definitely. Everything went wrong for her. Popeye got lost in the war. Some war. Or he just yeah. never. He just never wanted to come back to that family. Oh, the old hump and dump. Yeah. Yep. You couldn't get off the sauce, dude. Spinach is serious business. <laughs> I know. I struggle with it too. It's it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> creamy shits, everybody. Merry Christmas. Creamy shits. <laughs> creamy shits. <laughs> Speaking of creamy shits, <laughs> welcome to Under the Pendulum. I'm Chris. Here, as always, is Heather. Hello. And Caitlin. Hello. Oh, so speaking of creamy shits, I mean, it's not going to come till later, but we do have a special holiday surprise. Some oh. audible presents, you might say. So I'm pretty excited. In this episode, we've picked, uh, we've each picked something, one or two things, uh -huh. and we did uh -huh. not tell each other what we were picking. Yeah. And it was something that kind of reflects this time of year, you know, something interesting, macabre, tragic, or spooky uh, to do with winter and Christmas. So I'm pretty excited. It was excited. like opening up about presents, you know, you don't know what a present's going to be. So mm -hmm. it's kind it's of true. the same concept a little tiny bit. Yeah. I mean, mine's going to be a, mine's going to be a, a horrible present, but. Yeah. Well, sometimes they're not great, right? <laughs> Sometimes yeah, yeah. great aunt Clara gets you a pink bunny suit for Christmas and you're 12 years old as we learned from a Christmas story and mm -hmm. you just gotta <laughs> smile and nod unless you get fucking hit on the back of the head yeah yeah or sometimes it's the most horrific thing you've ever heard <laughs> <laughs> could be so yeah I guess uh Kate I guess you're going first yeah that's right so I chose to do um kind of exploring the three or kind of like the the spirits in general from A Christmas Carol, um, Charles Dickens. Yeah. I, I like it. I did a little research and I wanted to kind of talk about, you know, what folklore kind of cultural background that they may have had or inspired them. And then also what was kind of going on around the time that Dickens wrote A Christmas Carol. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Really interesting. I, yeah, I'm really excited. Yeah. This is what I majored in is literary yeah studies. yeah so I'm, I'm i'm pretty excited i'm, I'm excited to see I'm what we're talking to have about that i'm happy to have that support on my my jelly presentation because it's gonna be the jar and i'm the jelly to keep it <laughs> keep it in keep it inside but yeah so i found i found out a lot of really cool information i mean we've always loved this story i feel like yes. it's i think it's the second most popular they say it like second to the Christ child story of Christmas and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd say it's like the quintessential Christmas story. 
Absolutely. I can't believe it's still as popular as it, you know, from over hundreds of years or hundred years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just crazy. But I found out that it was originally inspired by um, Dickens reading, you know, what was going on in Victorian England to hash the story out in general. Which was nothing but sunshine from what I hear. Nothing but puppy dogs and flowers and just everybody's (laughs) doing great. They don't have a term like Dickensian street urchin for nothing. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Do you have a hey penny, sir? Well, then how about a smile? <laughs> oh, like, great bit. Yeah, apparently I came I watched a ton of BBC shorts on this because mom was like low key. Everybody's obsessed with Dickens in England. So, yeah. God, and the BBC just can't shut up about yeah. the Victorian era. No, it's time to explore what really <laughs> inspired A Christmas Carol. <laughs> it may be shocking to you. What was sex like in the mid the Victorian era? Well, they didn't have it. Yeah. <laughs> Hysteria. Yeah. Um, but yeah, apparently it was kind of it was inspired by some of the horrendous work conditions for, you know, child labor in general during the Victorian era and just yeah. I mean, how they weren't hardly wearing any clothes, and the little baby fingers got snapped off in machines. I mean, no. they fit so well in there to to fix things, but you can't do that, right? Yeah. And and Scrooge is just a really great representation of of that, right? Of the, the yeah. exploitation of the powerful and of the rich, and and he's you know he 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 embodies it to like the nth degree to where he's such a greedy guy that he doesn't even spend money on himself. It's just having money for the sake of having money. It's like, definitely his sheets suck. His fucking clothes are ratty and shitty. Like, yeah, you know, doesn't doesn't like pay for heat. Firewood. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They don't don't talk about how he's never changed his underwear and it's just caked and shit. Oh yeah. (laughs) And he likes the smell of it. (laughs) If he even wears underwear, <laughs> God, I mean, that's just an, another expense. Yes, exactly. But yeah, so he was, I, I, for, I should have looked this up again, but, you know, Scrooge's name is is, is kind of a combination of, of two world words that kind of, you know, denote cruelty and greed right. and things yeah. like that. But he was just like, I'm going to get these motherfuckers in the field. And every, everybody's going to be into being nice on Christmas and help these goddamn kids. <laughs> One might be scoundrel. Scoundrel? One might be. Because I'm yeah. thinking SCR. Oh, like, it was, uh, no. The... No, that doesn't work. <laughs> scoundrel. No, but there's like, you know, there's scoundrel. linguistic morphology that happens. You know, words can, mm-hmm. you know, change yeah. a bit or some nom- nomenclature comes in that's not really a word, but becomes slang. Um, and then it, yeah. it kind of gets adopted as a word. We see it happen all the time now. Where yeah. words from online enter the dictionary as like, mm-hmm. well, this is a, it's in our lexicon now. Yeah, yeah. So I don't. It'd be interesting to see like how what it used to be. You know, like maybe what was yeah. like the earliest um, linguistic uh, variation of it. Yeah, yeah. definitely. But um, scrotum. So I, I re- <laughs> Scro- <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Now we're thinking. <laughs> Merry Christmas. He kind of looks like a scrotum, like a like a shriveled. I know dried he's up so scrotum. tense. You just gotta loosen up, buddy. I know. Do some yoga. <laughs> <laughs> but um, interestingly, uh, I really just always love the concept of telling ghost stories on Christmas, and it's kind of a lost tradition. But you know, we've dabbled in it a little bit over the years, and yeah. unfortunately. 
half of the time they just take forever just to get to the scary part or the point. And it's like almost like a training manual or something. It's really long winded, but really, (laughs) really beautifully written for sure. Of course. Yeah. They love their flowery language. That's for sure. Oh, definitely. A lot of historians have said that uh, Dickens writing A Christmas Carol and also other novellas and and things that were really accessible um, to be published and for people to buy kind of cheaply, um, kind of revamped Christmas as a tradition in general, and especially telling a Christmas ghost story. A couple of the other ones that he published that were super popular after A Christmas Carol, because A Christmas Carol, they couldn't even keep it on the shelf. It was, and it was a really expensive book too. I mean, like it was printed in really amazing color and on the skin of child workers. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, oops, backfired. Yeah, the illustrations are great. Yeah, yeah, the illustrations are gorgeous. Yeah. But the other ones, I love the names of some of the other novellas and short stories. Uh, He did Seven Poor Travelers, The Chimes, A Goblin Story of Some Bells That Rang an Old Year Out and a New Year In, The Haunted Man and the Ghost Bargain, and A Fancy for the Christmas Time. Ooh, that one's for the... That one's for after hours. A Fancy for Christmas Time, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's just where Scrooge is walking around in ladies' underwear. (laughs) (laughs) I'm such a fancy boy. And Goodbye Horses starts playing out of nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, so again, a a lot of this Christmas tradition and everything was just going back to the industrial revolution and people really not wanting to lose their humanity and kind of like their regional culture and yeah. more of like pagan traditions came back. And I guess telling ghost stories goes as far back as the, the medieval ages, even older, like the Norse and, and Viking and things like that. Uh, I mean, th- th- those stories go back so far, but, um, you know, yeah, Norse comes to mind for sure. Where, yeah. Especially with like Europe and the British Isles and, and, all those, you know, like the other world and the other people and folks like fairies and goblins and oh, trolls, yeah. you know, like it's spirits. It. They all exist in, in our world simultaneously with us, though, just sort of like a shadow world. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. The I bad. love thinking about that. I love thinking of like folk. a banshee roaming the moors or just, you yeah. know, all these creepy things like beware of the moor stick to the road like there's like there's <laughs> well, right. evil and, out there and all these beings can uh, you know kind of participate in our lives right like they yeah. can participate mm-hmm. in our reality and yeah so like steal it, you away lure you right you right know, so yeah and you, and you see that just i mean it's one of those themes and stories that you just see time and time again and you know it, it is reflected uh pr- pretty well you know it, it's ghosts participating in enacting kind of their will on Scrooge to try to get him to be better, you know? Definitely. You know, like, so in, in a lot of these tales I was, I was hearing, you know, it's kind of that same overarching theme of regret over someone's actions and making amends, you know, through the sighting of a ghost or, you know, it reminds them of some wrong they had done somebody and they just only wish that they had time to take it back or it was possible to take it back. And it's yeah. just, all these are always such a, a vehicle of, you know, personal reflection and stuff like that. No regrets. No regrets <laughs> on Kirschmers. <laughs> All righty. So some of the things that may have inspired the ghosts in A Christmas Carol. And 
I mean, first guy we're starting with, of course, is Jacob Marley, who's one of my favorite characters of all time. I like I've always wanted to be him for Halloween, but I know it's like if you do anything right before Christmas, people are like, fuck you. I don't want to think about Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) They get rabid. (laughs) Yeah, I never want to do that. But he's just like every depiction is so original. Every depiction is just terrifying. I love that he's like a monotone color. Usually he's just like that gray kind of pallor of stone, right. like just really wonderful. Mm-hmm. You know, all the, the motif of the chains and the boxes, like it's just fascinating and gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. The, the imagery is, That's I mean, cool he's, he's the coolest one of them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, having having listened to it recently, it was so cool to hear other parts about, you know, what was going on around him. And it was like, there's the the famous part where, you know, you're seeing all the other spirits that are damned just as he is, you know, with chains and boxes and for greed and cruelty and stuff like that. And one of mm-hmm. the things that I found really interesting was um, there was like, he, he shows Scrooge this other spirit that's kind of like hovering over like a, you know, Dickensian street urchin, like woman, like mother and child, and they're freezing to death. And he's just like shrieking into the night that he can't help her and that they're going to die. And he had wished that yeah. there was something he could do and like talk about like really like <laughs> driving it home to, to all these people out there, you know. I can see why they leave that out usually. Yeah, there's a there's a couple parts. And I mean like just like Grimm's fairy tales, you know, where you're yeah. just like, ooh, they're not gonna they're not gonna tell it like they she used did to because it's she danced yeah. to death with iron strapped to her feet. And crows tucking your eyes out. Oh. You know, I yeah. bet you they could see that ghost, the mom and the child freezing to death, and they yeah. just like could see and hear it. He's just like, I can't help you. I can't help you. <laughs> like, we're right here. <laughs> I can't help you. She's just like, what? They're like, Fuck. please, we're already freezing. Oh, God, yeah. make it stop. That's awful. <laughs> Ugh. All so- right, move along. <laughs> oh he's um (laughs) man i smell like a cheeseburger right now i don't know why i'm so stinky it's crazy anyway probably stinky as jacob marley that's for sure some would say cheeseburgers are a delightful smell i mean sometimes it's it's like (laughs) i'm I'm always stoked when i smell a cheeseburger not when it's a human cheeseburger that's what i'm talking about So anyway, so he is kind of attributed to this this figure. Um, I know, Chris, you know a lot about this, but going back to um, Norse and Celtic mythology is the Revenant. It's an animated corpse that is believed to have been revived from death to haunt the living. The word comes from um, the French word uh, Revenant, uh, meaning returning. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm actually reading a book right now about um, historical accounts of of vampirism or how communities dealt with what they believed to be vampires, and uh, yeah. the revenants. What is one of the terms? Um, one of the one of the labels that they give yeah. um, in certain uh, certain countries, and and it's uh, really interesting. It's it's super cool. It's yeah, you know, and you think when you think vampirism, you also don't always think about ghosts, but you know. Ghosts are like the catalyst for the vampiric circum or the vampiric things that happen around where people get like drained of energy or somebody gets sure somebody dies. Um, that's cool. That, that's that's cool that he's tied to that. I know. I thought that was so great too. I I went out 
like thinking like at first when I was just dabbling, I was like not finding much information at all. And I'm like, was there anything that really inspired this? And I was like, oh, yeah. And then come to find out there's like a ton of information about it. Yeah. yeah. But but yeah, I mean, the depictions of the Revenant are always pretty cool. I mean, they kind of just look like, you know, your run of the mill Memento Mori figure and, and, you know, medieval art just kind of like a skeleton, but still has like the brown decaying gross skin kind of just, you know, all around a memento mori. I made one of those for Halloween on a plastic skeleton. Did you? Yeah. Corpse in I it. Did. Yeah. Yeah. I've done that before where you like uh, use a heat gun and then some, you know, oil-based lacquer and things like that or mm-hmm. wood stain. Yeah. It's really fun. Yeah. Easy. <laughs> Easy and beautiful and disgusting and juicy. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Another thing I just wanted to bring up before we move from Jacob Marley is just I always loved the rag around his head and how Mm -hmm. that was, you know, I I didn't know this, but it was a way to keep a corpse's mouth shut, you know, because I guess when you die, of course, everything relaxes, including your jaw. So you're not like just like, oh, yeah, Yeah, they do different things now in funeral homes that are hidden, like wiring and stuff like that. But. Yeah, I know. That's... Before moms are just hitting their son's hands away, he's like, "Timmy, get your hand out of that mouth." Here's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> not the cookie jar. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the next ghost, or at least the first real, you know, like entity and or deity rather, like spirit, is the ghost of Christmas Past, which is absolutely my favorite one. It's a amorphous, ever changing, ageless form of light. The ghost of Christmas past is a strange otherworldly creature that shimmers and flickers like a candlelight, constantly changing in appearance as it reflects Scrooge's memory, old and new. As one memory comes sharply into focus, another fades. As a spirit represents Scrooge's youth, so it can appear youthful. Its skin is of the tenderest bloom, but as Scrooge is now old, the spirit will also appear old to reflect this. The ghost's clothing continues in the same contradictory vein as it holds a branch of holly, which symbolizes winter, while the robe is trimmed with summer flowers. I mean, that is just one of my most favorite character descriptions I've ever heard. It's just so it's gorgeous. Really cool. So appropriate. Very like abstract too. Yeah, what a way to embody like memory into a thing, you know, such a wide scope. When we're looking at the past, it can be amorphous. You know, you're remembering the good times, the bad times, kind of everything in between. You know, sometimes your mind's eye sees things differently than maybe you experienced them. So there is like a roller coaster, amorphous, you know, perspective that we have. When we look at the past and it's a really great way to embody that through that character. Yeah. What if every once in a while it just shows a really bad memory of like him running off with like a magazine into an outhouse or like, you know, like him <laughs> stooping it down, like, oh, no, 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 that'll go away soon, right? <laughs> the ghost is just staring down at him like, yeah, arms really? crossed, tapping her foot. <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> okay, so the spirit I've read is also attributed to something like the will of the wisp also translates into foolish flame, Ignis Fatu, which is an atmospheric ghost light seen by travelers at night, especially over bogs, swamps, and marshes in European folklore. And 
this kind of light would be seen and 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 kind of be attributed to luring you out to danger, luring you yeah. out to, you know, the the moors or bogs or the swamp and of course going to your demise, but they also yeah. call it like a monk's lantern or also jack-o-lantern they say like that there's a similar spirit that you know roams around and has like a the, the flame from the devil or something you know around halloween oh interesting okay badass totally babies oh it also uh harkens back to the um seraphim angel which is kind of like shows up as like a burning ball of light with lots of mm-hmm. wings like that's ever changing as well and that kind of um, that, that's the, fucking the terrifying. Word. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just like the burning bush or something. Just like Jesus Christ. Uh, uh. But um, <laughs> the burning, it uh, it trans it translates to burning in Hebrew, uh, seraph. And then we have the most jolly of all, the the meat on the uh, Christmas Carol sandwich. Everybody loves them. <laughs> the juicy turkey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the ghost of Christmas presents the most jolly, or your fun, jovial, uncle. happy man of all time. Come in and know me better, man. <laughs> <laughs> and man. I'm fucking hammered. I wish. I wish he'd show up to oh, our party. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I'd love bear. to hang out with that guy. Oh, man. He, he brings a spread. Yeah, he sure do. That goddamn room was floor to ceiling with delicious food. You never have to worry about cooking shit when he's around. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. What do you think? What was the texture of the milk of human kindness? What do you think it tastes like? I don't know. The most silky smooth. (laughs) Silky smooth. Like, I don't. Have you ever? (laughs) Have you ever had Fiji water? (laughs) It's like Fiji water. It's like Fiji water, but creamy. Okay. See, because I, I always thought it was kind of like a really warm, tasty, like egg, like eggnog. Mm. Yeah, yeah, like an eggnog flavored texture of Fiji water. <laughs> Hold on, Scrooge, while I go into the other room and make more milk of human kindness. <laughs> it's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a celebrity yeah, like, be like I want milk of human kindness find it <laughs> I don't care how much it costs you will find money it is me. no concern spare no expense yeah so the ghost of of Christmas present is like of course attributed to Santa Claus Santa Claus all the different names for that what are some of the other names for Santa Claus do you guys know uh, it was Nicholas. in the movie The Santa Claus. Popo Shisho. Um, Père Noel. Oh, there you go. That's right. Uh, how could I? For- how could I forget that that monologue where he's like, "Who are you?" And From he just Santa Claus. The- yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Although I guess Tim oh, Allen's a dickhead. <laughs> Surprise. Yeah. Didn't he get busted for cocaine back in the day? In the oh, seventies. Yeah. 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 He had that stanky mustache on. You knew he was in trouble. <laughs> but um, he's also attributed to the green man from English folklore. Mm. Um, also, uh, the, like the green knight from Sir Gowan and the Green Knight. Yeah, he's an interest. The the Ghost of Christmas Present is so interesting because he's, you know, obviously kind of a Christian connotation there with the Santa Claus mm-hmm. and and like kind of a, I know he got a very kingly look to him. Um, mm-hmm. but then it's also like, you know, like you said, Norse, you know, you could think of Odin who 
you know, was also sort of a was also a jovial spirit as well as or of God as well as uh, being warlike and a lot of other contradictory things. But um, but he dies every year. You know, it's like he's only there in there's a reincarnation every year. So it's this idea of like rebirth and recite, you know, um, that whole death cycle. Um, yeah, definitely. And it's and that's a, the natural order, which is kind of what the green man represents as well. Or and I mean, I'm represents. sure that would have been very, very present in people's minds back then. Mm-hmm. But for us, you know, that's not necessarily something every uh, the average bear would know, you know, that that yeah. is like that man is a symbol for that or that entity is a symbol for the green man that, you know, does does die. So it m- might seem kind of odd that, you know, towards the end of his time with Scrooge, he dies sort of thing yeah, yeah. that's always sad but you know he's i know <laughs> yeah he really gets you there he's like oh you like this guy you like him when dead i'm gonna fuck him kill him like it's stephen king <laughs> yeah like stephen king no mm. so finally we're at the ghost of christmas yet to come which is the scariest one i mean i would say that jacob marley's a little bit scarier but that's just me but of course <laughs> he's just attributed yeah. to the Grim Reaper and death, you know, just like, again, like I a mean, memento mori. You've seen one Grim Reaper, you've seen them all. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know this. Uh, the Grim Reaper really came around during like the Black Death. He was really a symbol of what, you know, all of these funeral processions that were happening constantly, you know, of all these people dying and people, in, you know, religious figures in dark robes or doctors or kind of people being carried out in sacks and stuff. So it's just this like kind of covered skeleton. And yeah. that's just where the Grim Reaper really came from. There's a there's an older, you know, version of him in Greek mythology, oh, right. Thanatos or Thanatos, mm-hmm. um, yeah. who, you know, he he wasn't the ruler of hell like Hades was, who was just an Olympian god who, you know, um, got to rule hell, but um, or rule the underworld, should I say, it's not really hell. But um, yeah, he, you know, he would come and collect you just like the Grim Reaper does. And um, yeah, so it's, I mean, it's, it goes back thousands of years. I, I mean, I always love, you know, the, the different folklore and things of the, the entities that do come to collect people. And it's like, it's very eerie and fascinating, but it's yeah. like kind of adds to just the allegory of a journey. And it's really interesting. Yeah. But yeah, that's, cool. that, that's uh, all the information I found out about a Christmas carol. Oh, I well. hope everybody reads or listens to it because it's certainly worth it. Yeah, it's really, really good. Yeah, I haven't. Time. Yeah, it's been a really long time. I mean, it almost, I I was kind of a tearjerker for me. It got me a couple times for sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the Scrooge got you. Oh, yeah, they it becomes did. Becomes lovable in the end. It's, I think it was like all the Bob Cratchit stuff. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, don't even get me started on fucking Tiny Tim. The yeah. songs. Every movie has to have a song where Tiny Tim gets and up in front of everybody and just sings just bad British <laughs> sings at everyone. Ugh. He's a child. Yeah. Give him so, a break. No. Button them up it's he sounds like a Vietnam vet like singing outside <laughs> of a gas station. <laughs> Wait, why? <laughs> I don't know. He just has the voice quality of like a hey man. <laughs> Bless us all, man. Bless I don't know. I just always thought that. Do you got an extra smoke? I'm so happy you said that. That's so funny. <laughs> I won't be able to unthink that now. You won't. <laughs> Hell yeah, brother. Yeah.
Exactly. <laughs> anyway, poor tiny Tim. He didn't deserve I know. it. He had the rickets. Just stop it's singing. Fine. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Don't quit your day job. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I guess I'm up next then. Yeah, what you what you got, Heather? I'm gonna talk about um Hans Trop. Hans from Trop. France. Oh okay. yeah. You didn't say it very French like oh, so Hans Trop. He's kind of German. I know. French. I don't even think I could say it. Yeah. 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 Like Cologne yeah. or something. He's like right in that bo- the border there. Yeah. So Hans Trop is another anti Santa type figure. He is the antithesis of Saint Nicholas, and he is also known as the Christmas Scarecrow. He is most well known in the Alsace region of France, and he is akin to Père Futard of the Lorraine region of France, whom we have talked about before. Episode 19, Dark Christmas Traditions and Folklore. Uh, everybody remember him? <laughs> everybody remember him? Cutting up kids? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. That butcher. Oh, yeah. Babies do. <laughs> so Hans Trop is just as murderous and cannibalistic as the pair was, and he was also based on a real man. So Hans von Trotha lived from the mid to late 15th century and was born into an aristocratic family. He worked his way up in the world of electors and counts, and he was awarded fiefs by Philip the Sincere over two castles in the French-German Palatine territory. Oh, isn't he lucky? I oh, know. So fancy. Mr. Fancy Pants, Trap Fancy Pants. Honorary landowner, you know. That's a pretty sweet gig. <laughs> <laughs> so, Hans got into a tussle with the Order of the Benedictine Monks over one of these castles. The Barwarstein. God, make him sound like a gang. Yeah, well, back then, I wouldn't fuck with them, you know? No, they'll Benedict you over. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Uh, That was good. So this gang from the Wissenberg Abbey, they believed the property belonged to them, and von Trotha believed it was his to do with with, as he pleased. Uh Oh. So this dispute continued to escalate. This is where Hans's evil side came out. In order to show them what for, Hans dammed the river upstream from Wissenberg to deprive the town and the monastery of water. Now, in answer to that, the abbot demanded that the dam be destroyed, and Hans happily obliged. He knew that this was going to flood Wissenberg and create absolute havoc, which it did. Uh-huh. Dang, that's a lot of work. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's great when you have uh, indentured servants to do all your work for you. Because <laughs> yeah. Oh, sure, sure, yeah, sure. I'm sure yeah, sure he didn't do it. He uh, he ordered people to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But man, it was really hard ordering all those people. Whew. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure it was. Like herding cats, you know? <laughs> Deprive yourselves of water. Do it. <laughs> Are you sure? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so word of this got back to Pope Innocent VIII. And he was pissed off about this. Pope pissed. (laughs) And after exchange of some colorful words, the Pope had Hans excommunicated. But this happened to be of little consequence to Hans as he was served out the rest of his days on the French royal court. And he was awarded the Chevalier d'Or knighthood by King Louis XII. So yeah, he, I wonder how he really brought that shit back. That's tough. I don't know. I mean, I guess he was really good at his job and maybe King Louis was like ah mm-hmm. fuck the Pope because he was his name was cleared posthumously mm-hmm. <laughs> posthumously mm-hmm. yeah 
posthumously. Thank you. I knew I was oh, yeah. saying it incorrectly. <laughs> yeah, and, and it wasn't long after he died. So, and King Louis like, I'm glad you stuck it to the Pope and those things you did to those peasants. Fucking sweet, dude. Yeah. Hilarious. Funniest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I like your style. <laughs> They're all like, ah, I'm drowning. Oh. I hope it was around Christmas. It was Even great. funnier. <laughs> we all laughed on the hill. <laughs> well, despite Hans's happily ever after, his dirty deeds lived on, morphing into hyperbolic heights in local folklore. And a pretty lame ACDC song. <laughs> I know. I was just thinking under. <laughs> so according to legend, they say Hans made deals with the devil to achieve the success and power that he held. Always. I yep. mean, I get it from what you're saying. I'm like, we're all just like, how did you pull that off? I, I must know. have been the devil. How did you not die? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because he made the deals with the devil. This is why the Pope had him banished to Bavaria, where he dwelled in his mountainside lair. There, mm. his hatred and anger gnawed at him to the point where he developed the taste for human flesh. Oh, yeah? His yes. beard got longer, his nose got bigger and bigger, <laughs> and stinkier he became. So they're saying that he left his, like, his warm, cushy, rich life to go stew in the mountains. Well, they're saying that he was banished there. That's what, that's oh, what legend says, is that the Pope banished him to Bavaria. I that. Get the fuck out of here. Go to Bavaria for all I care. <laughs> <laughs> and because Hans Tropp was such a cunning and devious creature, he decided that he was going to don the disguise of a straw scarecrow. And in wearing this, he stalked lonely roads at night, lying in wait for his next victim. Oh, that's pretty terrifying. Yeah. So, on one of these nights, he crossed paths with a shepherd's young son. He, he attacked and stabbed the child and took him back to his lair, where he cut up the boy and cooked him. Now, just as he was about to consume the flesh, God struck him down with a lightning bolt and killed him. <laughs> Booyah! And as, yep. <laughs> and, you know, as we've learned in many of these tales, we know that even death is sometimes not enough to stop these wicked beings from terrorizing Christmas. I mean, you, it's like they're so bloodthirsty. That's the only way to really scare children back then is they, right. they're going to eat you. Death. Yeah. Death, death or presence. <laughs> you choose. <laughs> I will say, though, this, the, the scarecrow kind of like look with him in my head is pretty awesome. It looks yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Creepy yeah. as fuck, like a medieval scarecrow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because have you ever seen like the early jack like lantern gourds and stuff like that? Like, like the what little they turnips? Look like? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. They look like yeah, some of the original mummy uh, heads. Jack o' lanterns. Yeah. Yeah. Cool I want to make it. one. They look so rad. That'd they're be so fun. Creepy. That'd be really fun. Mm-hmm. Maybe next year for Heather's birthday. That'd be super fun. Ooh. Well, to the children of Alsace, France. Hans Tropp is a terrifying figure, especially if you're naughty. If you don't correct your behavior, Hans Tropp will pay you a visit in his nightmare-inducing scarecrow disguise. And although Hans Tropp doesn't always wear his scarecrow getup, he is actually described in the following Alsatian poem of how he typically appears. Look, there's Hans Tropp. He's got a nice pointed hood and a beard as white as a white horse. He comes from the starry sky. He brings a rod to the children who neither sing nor pray. Look, Hans Tropp, 
We are so small. We are wise and we follow the house. You don't need to come with your rod, for we know how to sing and pray. So that, that that's all you need to do, huh? Just to, yeah, <laughs> to get him away. Yeah, sing and pray. Just <laughs> okay. <laughs> God, pray harder. So it must have really sucked to be a little one back then. Fun, but sucked. Oh, oh yeah. I know. Just like anything you do wrong, there's just some sort of entity who's gonna come and like fucking kill you or hurt yep. you away. You know, for mm-hmm. every like, season. It's like I can't fucking <laughs> win with these adults. <laughs> well, every year in Weissenburg the same place that Hans von Trotha flooded back in the 15th century, they now hold a night parade featuring Hans Tropp and Christ Kindle. The parade is led by monks, and it ends at the old abbey. Hans Tropp rides in on a horse and dismounts. He approaches the huddled spectators and asks the children if they have been good. They even bring in a caged cart full of children begging for release as an added effect. (laughs) Hell yeah. This is the best stage show ever. Right. (laughs) Now you get in the car. (laughs) (laughs) So upon the arrival of Christ Kindle, or the Christ Child, who is depicted as a young girl in a crown of four candles, Hans Tropp is defeated by her goodness and is driven back to his lair until the next December. This sounds really cool to see, but terrifying to be in. Mm -hmm. Now this is like a very condensed version of this fascinating character, Um, but like you guys were saying, the element of a murderous scarecrow was the thing that caught my attention, mm-hmm. especially having to do with Christmas. Oh, mm-hmm. hell yeah. That's so rad. And it was just kind of an added bonus that he was based on a real person who was actually a fucking asshole in real life. A piece of shit. Yeah. I mean, if those <laughs> monks just would have kept their fucking noses out of his business, nothing would have <laughs> happened. Well, no. I don't know. I think he would have gone on to do other terrible things and piss off the Pope no matter what. So <laughs> it was only a matter of time. It wasn't if, it was when. <laughs> I, I bet he yeah. mooned them oh, from across the, uh, the crumbling bridge, you know? I'll bet he did. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Kiss my shiny metal ass. <laughs> he was a knight. <laughs> oh, I get yeah. it. That was good. Uh... <laughs> I was like, Futurama, that's funny. And no, you're, you're, you're yes, even better. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I guess I'll go, and mine, uh, mine's going to be pretty, it's going to be a bummer. Yay. Yeah, here we go. Woo! I know. Aren't you guys so excited? But it's okay. It's okay. It's I'm going to bring it up, and then, Heather, you're going to finish us off with a nice- Cherry on top. Frosting mm-hmm. on the cake. <laughs> yes. Don't want to give too much away. <laughs> so, yeah, I um, was looking up cool historical- tragedies around Christmas time and I came across the children's blizzard of 1888. One would say cold historic tragedies. Oh, yeah. And Mm -hmm. it's just as bad as it sounds. Yes, sir. (laughs) So on January 12th, 1888, one of the worst blizzards in recorded history moved through the North Central Plains states. It came without warning to the communities it hit and the strange conditions that preceded the storm made it one of the deadliest in American history. So while there was tragedy in most of the states it hit, like North Dakota, Minnesota, Wyoming, and Idaho, Nebraska and South Dakota saw the most casualties. So much of my information comes from the book The Children's Blizzard by David Laskins. And there's way too much information for just this short little section of the episode. So Mm -hmm. I'll be leaving out a lot, but I hope, you know, in the future, maybe we'll do an in-depth series of it because it's it's pretty fucking great. 
and it's yeah. tragic mm-hmm. and um yeah it's it's just um, i would it'd be something really cool to get into it'd be like kind of in our disasters sort of episodes. yeah i would also love to like bring in the 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 colorado cannibal as well i don't know much about that guy that'd be really interesting like as far as like a winter tragedy oh that'd oh, be yeah. fun I do recommend Laskin's book, though. It's it's a great account of the people who settled the Great Plains, um, the events that led up to the storm, mistakes that were made by the Weather Service, and accounts of those who lived and died from the blizzard. But yeah, let's get into the meat. So January 12th started out as a mild day. By 6 a.m. it was around 30 degrees, and the sun was out and a small wind was blowing. Farmers were out doing their work without their overcoats. And people were walking in and out of town, and children were going to school. Laughing and playing and just oh, having yeah. the best morning. Yeah, I mean, it's like pretty warm for this time of year, so everybody's just like, like, ah, yeah. I don't know, 30 degrees doesn't seem very warm, but, you know. Yeah, yeah, you know, and like there's one moment where like, you know, a dad just really apologizes to his son for something really shitty he did, you know, and he's just having... On his way to school, and he's just like, God, today's the best day ever. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong's gonna happen today. No, Siri Bob, I'm not gonna lose any child today. <laughs> not gonna lose one. <laughs> so many of the children didn't bring sufficient clothing for the winter storm as they headed off to school. Rather, they opted to enjoy the unseasonably warm day with light winter clothing. So this warmer-than-usual weather was due to warm currents of air that had blown north from the Gulf of Mexico. And at the same time, a cold front had been building in Canada and had reached a spread of about 780 miles and was heading south, riding on a dark wall of clouds. So when the two collided, and it was helped along by a strong jet stream, um, which was really compared to holding a match to a powder keg, So when it arrived, many commented that they had never seen anything like the storm before. And, you know, these people who had, you know, experienced bad or even deadly storms before, but the sheer speed and violence was terrible to witness. I mean, Mother Nature was really blocked off. I know the sheer speed and violence that sometimes can happen when, you know, (laughs) that kind of combustion. It's it's terrible to witness. It'd be (laughs) horrible. Uh, so here's Laskin's description of, of, of kind of what, what, how the storm came in and, and what it brought. Mm-hmm. So, quote, mm-hmm. out of nowhere, a soot gray cloud appeared over the northwest horizon. The air grew still for a long, eerie measure. Then the sky began to roar and a wall of ice and dust blasted the prairie. Every crevice, every gap and orifice instantly filled with shattered crystals blinding, smothering, suffocating, burying anything exposed to the wind. The cold front raced down the undefeatable grasslands like a crack, unstoppable army. Montana fell before dawn. North Dakota went while farmers were out doing their early morning chores. South Dakota, during morning recess. (laughs) Nebraska, as school clocks rounded toward dismissal. In three minutes, the front subtracted 18 degrees from the air's temperature. Then evening gathered in, and temperatures kept dropping steadily, hour after hour, in the northwest gale. Before midnight, wind chills were down to 40 below zero, and that's when the killing happened. By morning on Friday, the 13th, hundreds of people lay dead on the Dakota and Nebraska prairie. 
many of them children who had fled or been dismissed from country schools at the moment when the wind shifted and the sky exploded. Must have been too late. Yeah. Yeah. Man, there was a lot of setup that I I had to cut just to not make it too long. But yeah, there were some mistakes made. And I mean, it's also, Mm -hmm. you know, it's 1888 meteorology and that kind of technology is really in its infancy. Um, You know, but yeah, I mean, there were mistakes made for sure. Yeah. Well, Um, mm -hmm. definitely. Yeah. But but I mean, yeah, it's it's also rural places don't really have access to some of the communications that are coming out. So, right. You know, had things been done a little better, it may not have made much of a difference to some of the communities. Well, yeah, it sounds like it happened so so fast fast and so horribly that they're, you know, they just didn't have the equipment and the tools to combat it unless they knew like way ahead of time that they needed to be home by a certain time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's it's hard to say had things been handled better if it really would have made a, a huge difference. Yeah. A huge difference. Um, probably would have saved some lives, but you know, mm-hmm. it's hard to say. So accounts say that the winds were violently strong, 60 miles an hour in some places, which is, you know, it's uh, akin to a hurricane. It's yeah. I mean, those are pretty strong winds. I mean, they talk about doors being ripped off, parts of roofs being ripped off houses. Um, yeah, Jeez. so pretty intense. Yeah. <sighs> so many reported that a massive roar, like an approaching train, preceded the violent storm. Fine ice crystals blew so hard and were so thick that it made it difficult to breathe and see. Invisibility was a catalyst for many deaths, especially the children. You know, one moment you might be following a fence, which is your only lifeline to shelter. But due to the near blinding wind and ice, if you strayed away for just a few feet from the fence, you you would look back and it would just be gone and you wouldn't really know where you were. I I was saying before, too, that like, you know, that it, it sounds so much like just it counts from the dust bowl. And when these giant dust storms would come and like you all you could do was follow a fence and like it was that kind of visibility and there's all kinds of pictures of what that looked like and it's just nuts yeah i mean black sky things are just going into your face into your eyes Mm -hmm. so it's you know not Mm -hmm. only just the thickness of you know whether it's sand or ice or Mm -hmm. you know or rain it's you know you're just you can't really open your eyes because it's just gonna get you know assaulted by you know by whatever Little ice shards. Yeah. Yeah. God. So many, including farmers and workers who had walked the same paths for decades, became disoriented in minutes and lost their way. Experts studying the storm later would say that it had zero, zero visibility, which indicates that one cannot see vertically or horizontally. Jeez. And this explains Mm. some cases, such as a woman who froze to death with her key in hand just feet away from her front door. That would be me. That I'm that guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's awful. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Or or how an older couple died while circling each other around their farmhouse, presumably trying to find each other and the house. Oh, babies. Oh. That's so, so sweet that they were looking for each other, though. Oh, I know. Yeah. Pumpkins. Merry <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> So the flags that weather stations raised to warn people of the severity of the storm were all but useless now in the near blinding wind and ice. No one could see them unless they were a few feet away from the flag. So everyone was on their own. Yeah. 
School teachers, many of whom were not much older than some of their students, had a hard decision to make, stay inside or send the children home. And, you know, this is a really tough decision as some schoolhouses didn't have proper fuel and most students didn't have adequate coverings that day. Yeah. So it was really a choice of possibly freezing to death in the school or taking a chance to go out and find some shelter. Yeah, that's rough. Yeah. I don't know if I would. I don't know if I could do it. I I probably would have stayed. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Huddle together, yeah. everybody. Yeah. Jesus. Burn Christ. your desks. <laughs> yeah. No shit. Right. Yeah. Well, some some did. Some um. There were some stories of some who did stay put, and they did end up burning all the you know ran out of fuel, so they just burned the desk and whatever else they could. See the Heather. Yeah. See, I didn't even think of that Heather. That's good thinking. <laughs> you would have done all right. You would, yeah. you would have made yeah. it. <laughs> you would have saved them babies. <laughs> yeah. So many students who were released, because some teachers did let the students go home uh, when the storm, you know, initially hit, which was a gamble for sure. Yeah. Uh, some students did make it home in time. Some did get lost and survived, but had really bad frostbite. And yeah. some just never made it home at all. Ugh. One eight-year-old named Walter had jumped on a horse-drawn cart that some men from town had rode to the school to get the children. But for some reason, Walter jumped off to get something from the school that he had forgotten. No one noticed, and the cart kept on its way. And by the time Walter came back outside, the cart and help were nowhere to be seen. Oh, shit. It seems Walter must have thought that he could catch up or make it home. But either way, he started walking. The cold wind and ice crystals must have been painful, coating everything and getting into his nostrils and eyes. Walter became confused and disoriented. And here's how Laskins um, describes it. Quote, the fine hard pellets blew into his eyes and made them water. Walter cried and the snow mixed with his tears until it formed a crust between the upper and lower lids. Instinctively, he reached up to brush the crust away with the back of his hand. Soon his eyeballs were inflamed, which further distorted his vision. The pain became so acute that it felt better to let the ice crust build. Tears and blowing snow melded together and sealed his eyes shut tightly. There was no way to break the seal except by tearing the tender skin. Once Walter's eyes were gone, the rest of his face went fast. A mask oh of ice covered the exposed skin on his face, except for holes at the nostrils and mouth. Snow penetrated his clothing and froze into an armor of ice around his body. All of this happened in moments. Strangely, once he was down, everything was better. On the ground, the snow was softer and the wind didn't blow so hard. Walter curled up in the snow and surrendered. Unquote. Oh, poor Walter. <laughs> I would give anything to save that little one. Yeah, oh. it's, 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 should, I mean, we should just... name a really icy, delicious cocktail out of the Walter. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> to Walter. Yeah, I mean, this scene poor with Walter, Walter, you know, with his eyes and just everything and the suffocation, uh, this must have played out hundreds of times for people. Who would die that day? That's horrible. I'm sure. I th ugh. Ugh. I won't forget. Yeah. I won't soon forget that. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Yeah. I mean, many died trying to find their way home. 
uh, or to find shelter or out searching for loved ones. Um, mm. But not everybody died outside in the elements. Uh, there was a, a report of a woman who was found dead in her home with her children all around her. Uh, mm. They were all frozen to death because they had ran out of fuel for their fire. <sighs> and animals weren't spared either. Cattle were found still standing, dead from suffocation, and then frozen solid where they stood. Jeez Louise. Yep. Yeah. One teacher, Lois Royce of Nebraska, tried to lead her three young students to her home, which was only a few hundred feet from the schoolhouse. When they began their trek, they quickly became disoriented and lost. They ended up spending the night on the open prairie, Royce trying oh. to keep the children warm. All three children would pass that evening, and Lois would survive the ordeal, but due to severe frostbite, her feet had been amputated. Or had oh, to be amputated. And this was another cruel addition to the horror that besides all the funerals that followed the storm, many amputations were carried out for frostbitten appendages, oh. um, including ears and noses as well as feet and fingers, and sometimes yeah. whole legs. Oh, I think I'll try to take give myself a break and not being hard on myself for certain things, because that fucking... <laughs> can you imagine... <laughs> <laughs> oh, holy that's, shit that's you have to survive awful. and just remember yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um awful. yeah and yeah. some also survived the night only to die later from complications of illness or amputations yeah um one such person was etta shatuck who was a 19 year old school teacher uh she had sought shelter in a haystack after getting lost in the storm and she survived and was found you know three days later i think they said so, you know, her feet and legs were so frostbitten that they had to be amputated. Sorry, and yeah, infection probably started. She probably needed water. She's, yeah, all kinds of other things got her, I'm sure. Right. Yeah. They, they, she didn't survive the uh, no. surgery. She died of uh, complications yeah. not long after. So while there was plenty of tragedy, um, there was also great acts of heroism and survival being played out. So I'll just share one of those stories. Um, okay. And it's pretty crazy. It's a, it's a good one. So a school teacher named May Hunt and her 18-year-old student, Fred Weeks, would save everyone. Wow. May had to make, well, all of her students. I should say everybody. <laughs> a lot of people still died. Yeah, <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah they weren't that impressive. Um, <laughs> May had to make that desperate decision that so many teachers had to make. Stay and freeze to death or leave. May and Fred decided that a farmhouse near where Fred lived, about 140 yards west, was their best option. They had to traverse a large ravine to get there, but there was a makeshift bridge uh, to help them get over. This was dangerous, however, as children could fall off the bridge um, and into the ravine and possibly get lost in the snow. Ugh. What a nice boy. <laughs> Fred volunteered to go out and find the bridge and make a path in the snow for the children to follow. He was gone for half an hour, but when he returned, oh, everybody was fucking cheering. They're like, Fred, Fred, yeah. Fred. <laughs> so was, yeah, he His made shirt a off was a for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> Just glistening 18-year-old body. <laughs> How Come is he children. sweating? It's so cold. <laughs> So, yeah, he, he succeeded in making a path uh, by making two passes from the bridge to the school. They headed out after preparing the best they could, and May and Fred knew that, you know, 
they might actually make it if they all kept close and no one would wander off. Yeah. So when they reached the path that Fred had made, it had been completely covered with snow and it was nowhere to be seen. Just yeah. in minutes, it was gone. Wow. And this also lost the position of the bridge. And what's more, the storm had gotten worse. Uh. But they decided to press on and they made it over the bridge, but the cold and the icy winds were doing their work on their morale. Children couldn't use their fingers, legs were giving out, and some were ready to just sit down in the snow and stay there. Yeah. Fred luckily brought them to a large pile of straw near the farmhouse. Fred had everyone get inside the large haystack and wait for him to come back after he and two other boys located the farmhouse. They used ropes from aprons to guide them back to the haystack should they get lost. They didn't find the house, and they headed back to the haystack. May was also determined to survive and took charge, having Fred help with digging a deeper opening in the hay to make a little cave where everyone could huddle together inside uh, to ride it out and kind of to have a little more warmth. Yeah, it's resourceful. Yeah, yeah, yeah such smart fast idea. Thinkers. It's amazing. Fred, he volunteered to sit with his back to the storm at the mouth of the cave, kind of acting like a door to create more shelter. Mm-hmm. And this was obviously the coldest part to be in and his back was exposed. So it's, yeah. you know, just very selfless. Yikes. You, know, yeah. you, you could have just grabbed two of the kids and just shoved them in there. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so almost everyone didn't have adequate clothing and they had not eaten really anything since noon, which makes staying warmer that much harder. Uh, you yeah. just don't have the calories to burn. So they stayed there until morning and around 4 a.m. Fred stuck his head out and as and he had been doing this every few hours just to see if he could see anything or if he could see any help. Mm-hmm. So when he stuck his head out, he saw that the sky had cleared and the farmhouse was visible. Fred ran to the farmhouse and the owners answered. Everyone was saved and no one died. One girl had to have her foot amputated and some of her toes, but um, she did live. Dang. Holy shit. Yep. How many kids were there again? I think she had, it was like seven. Real American hero. Yeah, yeah. totally. I bet he had like a bundle of kittens for no reason too, just like saving them as well. I also found this basket of kittens. I I had to go back for them. Oh, man. So no one knows the exact number of deaths in the children's blizzard. Estimates put it at around 250 to 500 people, many of which were children, hence why it's known as the children's blizzard the school children's blizzard, and the schoolhouse blizzard. All is equally terrible as the last. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. But like all disasters and tragedies with high mortality rates, some much-needed changes did occur. After another deadly blizzard hit New York and the East Coast just a month after the children's blizzard, the weather services and their safety measures were overhauled to better prevent the same circumstances that led to so many deaths. Oh, well, thank you. That, I, that is uh, interesting to know. Very, very, very sad, but interesting. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah, it's terrible. God. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to do a longer episode because it was a lot of really cool stories and just like, yeah. you know, kind of being new settlers to the area and just being unfamiliar with, you know, your new home and, and weather right. patterns. And yeah, it's very, up very cool. There. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you ever like even been caught outside not wearing enough clothing for a prolonged period of time when it's really cold? Nothing that I can remember. 
Um, yeah, I, uh, I, w- I went to a Broncos game one time, the only time I've ever gone. And um, oh, no. it was my first move to Colorado. And uh, it just happened to be a really cold day. Like, it wasn't super cold. And um, you're not used to it. In the know? afternoon, but it got really cold when the game hit. And then, you know, it's an outside. Um, yeah. It was uh, pretty high. And I just had on, like, a shitty hoodie. And I was just oh, no. fucking freezing. I think it even started snowing a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was just fucking miserable. Uh, <laughs> just, I, yeah. I got locked out of my house on accident in the middle of a snowstorm, and I had to wait an hour before anybody could come. Oh. And I was in the middle of a neighborhood, so it would have been colder to walk somewhere. So I had to just kind of huddle by the door for a while. Uh. And I had just gotten off work working at the vintage shop, so I was just wearing like open-toed high heel shoes and tights, a skirt, and like a little jacket. And I was. Oh, my God. God. That was crazy. Oh, I remember the tragedy of the blizzard of 2018. Yeah, that was bullshit. (laughs) That was the coldest I've ever been. How come nobody talks about our fucking experiences, right? Well, no, I just (laughs) was thinking, yeah, just like on a minuscule level, just like how painful it is to be that cold. It's crazy. No, yeah, it's awful. I mean, sounds terrible. Yeah, I mean, it's just so many things that made it even worse than just the cold. You know, it's it's just like, yeah. I mean, like you're they were talking about like, you know, the, the the ice and the wind being so bad and, you know, ice just covering you so quickly. People would try to wipe away the ice on their face and they would just rip their skin. So people had like <laughs> sores and like open wounds from ripping the skin. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's well, that's just fucking awful. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Happy holidays. Well, I'm going to bring it way up, guys. I like it. Oh, yeah. Way up. One would say it's rather tone deaf, but (laughs) we will press on. (laughs) So I'm going to talk about the Caganer of Spain. Woohoo! We're going somewhere we're a little warmer, everybody. (laughs) 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 Of all the odd little Christmas traditions throughout the world, the Caganer might be my new favorite. I haven't ever owned a nativity scene apart from when we were kids. Right. But what I'm about to talk about makes me want to get one, like, right now. <laughs> okay, okay. Hell yeah. I'm listening. In Catalonia, Spain, their nativities have an extra character that you won't often find in any scene displayed in America. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yep. So the Caganer can be found off to the side of the traditional holy depiction as he doesn't want to be disrespectful. Uh-huh. Now, why would he be worried about this, you may ask? Did he well, eat? Is, did he, is he stealing pudding? He's making pudding. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he's got his pants pulled down in the squatting position, and he's taken a huge dump in his own little discreet corner. Oh ripping my ass God. for the Lord. Li- he's doing a little log for the Lord. Yes. See, like the little drummer boy where it's like, I have nothing to give to the new Lord. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, I know something I could give him. Uh, and like sometimes they even have a little pig figurine nearby the the Caganer, um, just kind of giving away what he's up to, which I so think they, is kind of funny. Is this like a buddy is the comedy? Pig like they, a bouncer? Yeah, they gave him like a little buddy. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> little sidekick. We need someone just as disgusting. <laughs> hey guys, look what he's doing over here. Yeah. 
I just love to picture like a, a live churchyard nativity scene with the guy off to the side taking a dump. <laughs> I feel like my neighbors would not be super stoked if I did that out front. No, absolutely not. But it'd be funny. <laughs> it would be great. So Caganer tra- translates to defecator or shitter. And this yeah. little... <laughs> This little fella has been around since at least the late 17th to early 18th centuries. Now, that's just remarkable. I know. Isn't that crazy? And this is in northeastern Spain, um, their Catalonian nativity scenes. And he's not viewed as lowbrow in Catalonia um, as he's only doing what is natural. And he's actually a symbol of good luck and good health. Well, I'm going to use that excuse when I happen to just randomly shit in public. You really should. I think it'll work. I think so. Someone, some family's shitter breaks and they're just like, man, it's just not the same. I just, I can't get into it this year without my shitter. <laughs> <laughs> so the Caganer is also like an innocuous political statement of sorts. Okay. He brings a realness to the mysteriousness of Christmas. You know, everybody has to poo no matter how important or holy they might be. And he puts the perspective of mortality into the scene of the ultimate immortal being of the Western world. See, I'm also going to use this if I'm ever public shitting. I'm just (laughs) going to gaslight people and be like, this is real, okay? All right? This is... I am cultured. This is about more than just pooping. Yeah. Well, you know, you see see Christ for the first time and some people fall to their knees and weep and some (laughs) people, you know, scream out and laugh. Some people just fall down their pants and take a shit. <laughs> they got to fertilize the scene, which is also something he symbolizes. Is My lord. Oh. Uh. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh. Yeah. Um, man, yeah, that's, um, I think all that is going to be great to use if you ever, you know, or find yourself in that situation. I'm just contributing to your delinquency, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so Catalonia is no stranger to toilet humor as there have been well-documented references to the scatological in their art and culture for centuries. In fact, the Caganer himself appears in Baroque poetry, art, and tradesman crafts, and he is not specifically a Christmas character. The Baroque art movement was rooted in realism, and what's more real than a man having to answer to the call of nature? I mean, oh, dang. Come on. I remember that unknown Vivaldi piece, The Four Shitters. that's so crazy (laughs) have you ever seen the artist that just draws women shitting in hell or paints women shitting in hell in kind of a baroque style i have not i like it i'll have to i'll have to show everybody i would love to see i'm gonna use that (laughs) as like an insult when i'm driving now like take a shit in hell (laughs) (laughs) that's a good one thank you (laughs) well the Caganer isn't the only shitter of Catalonian Christmas tradition. Um, happy to report. Oh, thank um, God. <laughs> I thought there was a thought there was a decline in, in the amount. No no shortage of shitters. Uh, they also have the cagatillo or the Christmas log. Yeah, that's fun. And families will put out this cute little log with a painted face and he's got like a little Santa hat. And they start on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception on December 8th, and they keep the log out throughout the entire month of December where they will feed the log like scraps of food and cover it with a blanket to keep it warm. 
It's funny because <laughs> like when I take a shit on Christmas, I also call it a, a immaculate conception. <laughs> <laughs> I was so me. stupid. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. It reminds me of Hanky the Christmas Pooh so much for that song where they're like, yum, 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 he's a piece Yeah, is it, is it, is that being like, is that like a, is it a, like a turd? Like, no, a, like a log? It's a log. That's a real log. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a real log. Yeah. Because I was thinking like Chris, like a Mr. Hanky kind of thing. Nope. Nope. It's a log. It's like an actual piece of wood. Oh, it's, it's actually kind of more fun. I like it. It's I know. More, it's very it's, cute. It's very original. <laughs> Well, after all this time of him feeding it and keeping it warm, on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, the kids in the family will hit the log with a stick and they'll sing the song translated as such. Poo log, poo nougat, hazelnuts and mato. If you don't poo well, I'll hit you with the stick, poo log. Oh my God. Then the children will leave the room and their parents will hide small gifts and treats under the blanket that the poo log has apparently shit out. So this poor poo log's just living in a perpetual hell where he's just being beaten till he shits out presents. He looks really happy about it, though, I must say. I mean, (laughs) wow. Colon health is very important in this region of the world. Yeah. Yeah, Being regular. It is important. Gut health (laughs) is connected to the brain. Yeah, I mean, you know what? Now that I'm getting older, I care a lot more about the quality of my poops. Yep, as you should. As I should. Most commonly, the Nativity Caganer is depicted as a farmer wearing a traditional Catalan hat. He is also often found reading a newspaper or smoking a pipe or cigarette, as one does. Uh Uh-huh. However, on websites such as caganer.com, you can find all sorts of depictions of celebrities, politicians, and other pop culture figures. Oh, I'm sure they love that. Yeah. I mean, it's oh kind God, of like, yeah. who are you if you don't have a Caganer made of you? Right? Yeah. You've You're made not it. really that famous. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So they got Trump, Obama, famous soccer players. I saw a Marilyn Monroe one. They even have like Darth Vader. And there's like a little R2-D2 one that shit out like a little ball of metal. It's really... <laughs> what? There's all sorts of them. It's crazy. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> and you could get yours at Caganair.com. That's right. <laughs> I'd like, well, you know, personally, I'd like one of the Devo guys for no reason with the Whippet hat. I mean, they might have one. You never know. Maybe he's shitting into awesome. the Whippet hat. I was thinking that. Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> so there's also a society called Friends of the Caganair, and they, you know, big collectors of these figurines and... They have like a whole history on it and they're just really big enthusiasts of these little guys. And if you go to their website, they have a biannual newsletter that you can sign up for, which would be kind of fun to get twice a year, I, I feel like. I'd like, yeah, it's like, who's shitting this fucking week? <laughs> yeah, is it called Mary Shitmas or something? It should be. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably... um, You know, in an- another language, I would assume. I, I, bet it's, I bet it's a little tasteless. They're like... Well, let's look back at this year at all the people we've lost. And it's just like people have passed away over the years. <laughs> in memoriam. Yeah, in memoriam. Um, but yeah, the, the Caganer is, is gaining recognition and popularity outside of Spain. And, you know, I think I think that should be the way it is. I think more people should know about it. And I think we should include it in our Christmas festivities. I, I think so, too. I mean, my neighbors are not going to be yeah. thrilled 
Um, they may even see say I'm blasphemous. But, well, they might um, say that, but <laughs> they they could say things like that. Sure, they can yell about it at a at a city meeting, but yeah, I like it. I think it sounds fun. <laughs> I I do too. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll start at the Cagatillo mm-hmm. and see where it goes. <laughs> I feel I feel bad for him. I just so just like they keep him as a slave, as a present giving slave. He's fine. He's <laughs> he fine. loves it. Everybody, he loves <laughs> he it. He does. <laughs> uh, well, thank you guys for these these wonderful gifts that you bestowed. Yeah, yeah that was so that was fun. Really fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I I'm actually right when we get off. I'm gonna look up Coganairs. Yes, yeah, you me should. too. I'm really excited. Oh, yeah. They're yeah, hilarious. Yeah, I'm. So can you get one made of you? You know, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'll I'll make one of you, Chris, if you'd like. One. I'm I'm thinking wedding cake topper. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> now, okay. So, do you shit on each other or shit and like it's like a heart on the ground or like what do we? What's what's going on here? I don't know if they would do that. Yeah, I think you'd either either separate toilets, right? Or they could have like a double one, like a like a love seat, like a heart shaped toilet. Yeah, like a heart, a big heart shaped oh, toilet. Yeah. 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 It's adorable. <laughs> and their and their and their logs curled together to make a perfect heart. Oh. <laughs> That's so sweet. Yeah. Yay. Well, y'all know where to find us on the socials, mm. on the Facebooks and the Instagrams and all that. Yeah. And on the TikToks. Um Yeah, everybody, happy holidays. Be safe. Happy holidays. Yeah. Don't go out into storms. Nope. <laughs> Stay inside. Don't take a shit on the lawn. I mean, you could do that. It's not the worst thing you could do. I suppose, yeah. It's festive, yeah. Don't be seen. <laughs> do it under cover <laughs> of night. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening, everyone, and we will be back with another, and we will see you next time. Goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs>